This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Grace Gordon, actress and activist. And today I'm hosting solo as I'm excited to welcome two guests onto the show for the first time ever to discuss how to help your artist friends. We got such wonderful listener feedback from our interview with Athena Reddy. So I am very excited to welcome Athena back today. For those who need a reminder, Athena is an actor, musician, and movement artist who uses they, them pronouns and was interviewed for our Mental Health for Artists episode last month. Today, we are joined by Athena's partner, Nick Grant, who is a filmmaker currently in pre-production for a new horror project, my favorite. Nick uses he, him pronouns, and this is his first time on the show. So we usually start our episodes with a little check-in just to get us situated into the present moment. And I'll start with you, Athena, since by now you're a pro. Uh, so I just want to ask you, how is your art life? My art life is um, very clean because we just cleaned up uh, the house. So we had to do a lot of where well, we were just making a lot of things for this film. And today was just one of those days where, where I woke up and Nick was cleaning and then it inspired me to clean. And now I feel like it's like you turn in a new page when you take a day to, to reorganize after like a process has reached a sort of period and you're ready to start the next sentence like that's that's how I feel I just feel clean like clearer you know I can like hear my minimalist clean freak um co-host Zandra listening to this episode and going oh oh yes like I just I hear her in my psychic vision because I know that she would love the the comment like it's like the period at the end of the sentence the start of a new sentence oh, oh yeah she, Hello, she gets it yeah <laughs> Nick how is your art life my art life is going well um I love being in pre-production for films you know they are a medium that is so expensive that you can't really afford to just be making them constantly. Um, and so it's a really special time whenever you actually get to be working on it. And I have enough free time right now that um, I'm able to just devote my days to testing special effects and going out and looking for locations and um, testing the new gear that we're going to be using on this movie. And I just love it. I love every minute of it. I'm feeling so good. Well, I'm glad you're feeling good. And I'm glad that you brought up the film because I definitely want to start this episode with just transparency for people listening that um, we are all working together on this film. Um, and we're currently crowdfunding for some like practical effects on the film that you are working tirelessly to prepare. Uh, so we have this Indiegogo campaign that we just launched um, specifically for, for the practical effects on this film. And um I, I wanted to start this conversation by asking you guys, like, have you run a crowdfunding campaign before? And or what does it feel like even to just like ask for help to the public from the public? Um, wow, I have. Uh, the first one I ever ran was along with my like my Wizard Rock tour group. And I didn't really have to do it at all because I was sort of the at the time, like the sort of scattered one. <laughs> who was like, I oh, was a fun one. So everybody else did it. And we, you know, met a goal for 
um, helping us with our tour costs and stuff like that, like to some degree. And then um, a few years after that, I ran a Kickstarter for an album that I was doing, a studio album. And I didn't think that I was asking for too much, like based on just how much a studio album costs. And I, I had found like a, a, a kind of lower priced but high quality studio to work at in Brooklyn and all of this stuff. And um, so because I thought I wasn't asking for a lot uh, in comparison to how much uh, an album costs to record in that space, uh, I put the goal higher than I could make. And I, I accidentally didn't make like a flexible funding campaign. So I raised a lot of money, but because I didn't quite reach the goal, I didn't, I didn't make the goal. And I felt so awkward at the time, like reaching out to the people who had donated and asking them to like, you know, do it through otherwise. And I just felt so, I was younger, like I felt so like, so deflated that I just ended up doing like, I, I think I was able to afford on my own like one studio day and record one song just so that I, I got the experience, which I'm glad I did, but it was like so deflating and so depressing. And then um, I ran a third one when I when I got into the Bristol Old Vic Theater School for my master's degree, and I had no idea how I was going to be able to afford it. And um, my my family couldn't help me and all of this stuff. And um, that one, I was smart enough to make a flexible funding campaign. And um, I, I made I made a lot toward being able to pay for my degree before I found like actual benefactors, which was insane. But it was really smart to make flexible funding. That's what I learned because, you know, any cent towards stuff like this helps so much. And it's expensive. It's expensive to make art. It's expensive to uh, to do a degree. It's expensive to go on tour. It's expensive to make a film. You know, it's expensive. So like even if you get $10 toward it, um, it's so encouraging and uh, it does something for you. So um, yeah, those that's my experiences. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you mentioned this thing about flexible funding, because one of my favorite things about the campaign that you that you guys just launched for for this horror film is, um, is that it says, we are going to make this film no matter what, your money will help us do that. And will help us not go into debt. But like, but that is the project itself is happening. Because I think that the implication with some of these crowdfund campaigns, uh, without the flexible funding, when it's just a locked in goal. And if it doesn't get funded, it doesn't happen. The implication is like, okay, if we don't read this, reach this goal, the art will not be made. Mm. And I think that's true a lot of the time for people. Yeah. I mean, like some people just don't have, I mean, like we're lucky to be in a situation where Nick's been making films for years and years and it's sort of his, it is his main thing as a writer, director, producer. And so like some of the baseline equipment is always there. Um, and the same thing with my album, I could have made it on my own. I could, cause I have my guitar, you know, like, but, uh, yeah, Nick, have you ever done a crowdfunding campaign before? I, I don't think I, we talked about that. Yeah, I have. I, um, I did a crowdfunding campaign for gut boy, which was my first feature film in the film on which I met Athena. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> An old the, love story uh, of our times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that we, um, you know, my relationship with the crowdfunding was so different this time around. I think I'm, you know, 10 years older and have been doing this a lot longer and am feeling a lot less awkward about it in general. I think that at the time of Gut Boy, it was tough for me asking for money from people because that 
made me feel like illegitimate in a certain way, like as though, um, you know, a real filmmaker would be able to just uh, make the movie because someone would have invested in them these, these, you know, supposed um, people going around making decisions about what's allowed to be real movies that I imagine, I don't know, maybe someone exists who thinks of themselves that way, but I think that the actual financial reality of how films get made is very, like, not ideal. And it it doesn't really make a lot of sense to someone who's just coming out of college and is used to living in a world constructed sort of out of ideas. It's just this messy way of making art that has grown up according to, um, you know, the forces of the market and so on. And um, this time around, I feel a lot better sort of telling people like what I'm going to give them and not thinking like that this has to be a thing that I is going to be a, an even exchange in the sense of like you're buying something because I'm market minded. And so for you to give me money, I have to give you something of equal value. It's that people can believe in art and want to support art and understand that we're working in a system that. Uh, it at its core doesn't really make sense, the economic system. And so people, I think, are just excited to support things and excited to get on board with um, making something that otherwise, according to the market forces, shouldn't be allowed to be made. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like we're giving people the opportunity to to support the art they want to see in the world, because the reality is that there are gatekeepers in the film industry, especially, um, and that there's a lot of boring art. There's a lot of like repeated stories and people are very tired of the same things being released or the same remakes being released. Um, we I read so much of that every day, you know, on Twitter or just having conversations with people. So I love that crowdfunding um, and Patreon and all of these sort of like like fans supporting artists directly, um, all of these platforms allow allow the art we want to see get ma- uh, to be made. Um, yeah, the film industry has is is made is created is is constructed to have gatekeepers is constructed to uh, frankly to you know to stop unique points of view from being shared. And um, so I think that it's wonderful also that there are people like Amanda Palmer or other sort of established, like, um, quote unquote, you know, like real artists, whatever the fuck you want to call it, artists who had major studio albums who then turned to Patreon or turned to Kickstarter because they didn't want the studio controlling anything anymore. So I think that that trend has helped a lot me like has helped me as an artist feel comfortable setting up a, an Indiegogo or a Patreon etc because there are there are these artists I admire who went from the studio system to crowdfunding yeah and I think what's really wild to think about is just that like um you know it's all these people are very, very sick of, say, something being repeated or or this idea that everything's being regurgitated and that, that it's sort of a hall of mirrors, these more expensive films. And then a lot of times I feel like when something is sort of like seen as innovative and comes out of the studio system, it's really I feel like there's a tradition of people with money um stealing the inventions or ideas of people who don't have money uh because i feel like smaller films like you'll you'll see filmmakers uh 
reference people who have been relegated to obscurity because they haven't had the same um they haven't had the same fanfare or they haven't had the same like hollywood impact or 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 large um publicity kind of stuff and then you listen to filmmakers like list these like obscure filmmaker like obscure obscure other filmmakers who might be older or from another generation but you've like literally never heard of them so the influences too come from somewhere else and um, without the indie filmmakers, it's it's kind of just like the the system doesn't get fed with new ideas anyway. Um, I think. What didn't yeah, you, you know, feel? <laughs> I've just been listening to um, a podcast about uh, Elon Musk and um, the ways, and I've been thinking because of that about tech investment and how tech investment works and how it seems that um, tech investors are kind of more interested in risk than film investors are. And I think that some of that has to do with the way that culture is created and the way that culture advances, um, which is kind of by a weird consensus model, like where the public kind of also wants gatekeepers to tell them that something is good in order for them to engage with it. But then there are also these other segments of the public that sort of interact with it in this more complicated way. But for some reason, because of that whole system, what like film investors are really looking for is like a reliable product that works. And because of that, they aren't willing to like invest in um, in things that might be really aesthetically transgressive or challenging in the same way, unless there's like a proven market for it which is different from something that can have really like clear success uh, like on its own terms, like tech can, like you kind of can't argue tech that works, but you can argue with a movie that works and you're likely to, unless someone that you trust, someone critical that you trust has, has approved of it in some way, which is so tied up with the money system. It's really a, a unique problem situation that film financing has. I'm I'm glad that you brought up, you know, a, a name of someone in a, a industry that is a little more risk taking. And earlier, I brought up Amanda Palmer because I I was actually curious to ask you guys. I think of both of you as people who really do uh, help your artist friends. You do really support your artist friends, like whether it's financially, whether it's through social media, you know, in all ways, um, hiring your friends. I, I think of you two pe as people who are so intentional about that. But I'm wondering if you guys have like specific role models or if there are just examples of of other people who, who do a great job of championing other artists' work. Um, not Elon Musk, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> you know, well, like, Elon like, like, Musk what's a what's a good? Well, yeah, yeah. Elon, okay. Elon, do not get me started, Athena. Elon Musk is stopping Grimes from putting out more music. I'm with you. I mean, we have to rescue Grimes. Uh, we have to rescue Grimes. That's uh, one of the action items that will come from this episode. Is our rescuing Grimes from Elon Musk? Um, I just like I I've kind of noted that's something I I pay attention to on social media, for example, is like really um, effective ways of supporting other artists. So my example would be like, I have a friend named Eric Smith, who's a, who's a young adult author and also agent for other writers. And um, a couple of years ago, he had a tweet that went like viral. 
Um, it was just like a some you know joke that ended up getting hundreds, yeah, yeah, hundreds of thousands of retweets um, during the election, and he, you know, got the attention, and immediately he he thought about what he could do with it, and so he just started. Um, he like right under the tweet, he made a thread of like writers of colors books that he wanted to champion. Like, hey, thanks for stopping by. Here's a bunch of books that you should support. Um, oh yeah, that you buy. I've seen and people I just do that, that, and it's so so cool. Yeah, it's just sort of like, okay, you paid attention to me for this sort of dumb thing, but here here are the people that like deserve this level of retweeting or attention or or whatever it is. I mean, it was just such an immediate, yeah. instinctual response in such a practical, like easy way. You know, he was like, oh, I have some attention. Let me share it. It wasn't yeah. even like, I don't deserve it. It was just like, oh, wow, there a lot of people are seeing this. How cool. Who else can you know, I lift up? With with film especially, we work in such a collaborative medium that there's literally no reason to take the limelight and not lift up your friends because we're all working on different projects throughout the year at all times. Some of them personal projects, some of them um, like getting hired for a film and the film doing well or something like that. And so like, I just believe that we all rise together. So there's no reason to kind of like hog any sort of shred of limelight or whatever fully um with without uh giving voice to the people that not only that you believe in and see in your in your circle but also uh that that are going to work with you like i think that you know being an artist full time in any capacity means you're just surrounded by other artists and you know the more you see them going the more you get excited and i think in the world of like likes and retweets and uh and just this random churn of the algorithm all you can do is just like press the fucking button and let it get heard you know uh i just get really inspired by the people in my life who are just out there making stuff to make stuff and who are getting like and who have smaller followings but have given like their blood sweat and tears to the thing they do because they're they're a very real artist and I, you know, I, Nick has a YouTube channel that he started a Patreon for over the, when did you do that, Nick? I think we started it back in February, so. Yeah, so we started back in February and he had this video that sort of blew up on the YouTube um, with the, do you want to explain it, Nick? Uh, the, you mean like the content of the video? Or like the content of your channel and the concept? Yeah, it's a um, it's a conspiracy channel. Um, my uh, conspiracy persona is a puppet named Professor Bulwer Smythe, who is a professor uh, professor at Miskatonic University, and um, he basically it tries to sort of rescue conspiracy theory, which I think was a very fun genre of intellectual endeavor before the recent presidency. It tries to rescue that from the mire of uh, QAnon and all of these sort of dangerous cult adjacent um, uh, organizations um, and just sort of have fun with it. And so we explore a theory that I developed about emojis being encoded uh, demonic sigils from the fourth century. And uh, we go a lot into um, these sort of uh, flights of fancy. Uh, our recent obsession is the Philadelphia Museum of Art and the occult underpinnings of the architects who built it. Um, 
and uh, and it's doing pretty well. People seem to be enjoying it, and I think that they're engaging with it in largely the way it's intended, which is um, as a sort of investigation into riddles that are not being posed um, or posing riddles that do not have answers, uh, which I think is sort of a, a valuable end in and of itself. And like, this is the thing is like, um, Nick was making this channel and one of the videos blew up at one point during the beginning of the channel. And this was one of those things that he was just sort of doing because he, he believes in it. He believes in the lightheartedness of, of, of reframing conspiracy and inspiring a lighter touch to some of these concepts that have been taken away from, uh, like that have, that have gotten locked into fear. And I think it's a very like thought freeing a project for people who might be attracted to it and be more rigid and down YouTube rabbit holes. His content stands out as like, first of all, it's a puppet who is, you know, how can you take that seriously? And An ironic seen- symbol for conspiracy theorists. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting to have seen some people taking him seriously and some people being like, it's a, he's a shill for the government or like whatever it is. And you kind of see, you kind of get this crazy uh, mirror of, of how reality is. And then you're starting to see people come out of the woodwork and engage with it um, in a lighter hearted way. But anyway, to like swing that back around to the question from before, Nick's work is kind of when we've, like I had, I had known Nick for years because we worked on his first feature together. I acted in it and that's how we met. And we only started dating like two years ago. And this puppet channel was something that like I didn't know about. Like it was just art Nick made because he wanted to do this. And like, it's funny how the the way the internet works, the way that attention works on the internet and the economy of attention works, um, that this is, you know, it had its own little spike and everything, but this was art someone made just because they wanted to make it. And that's what I try to surround myself with in my internet feeds and that kind of stuff. Because like, you know, the Loki show is already getting like voice and press and it's filling your timeline if you enjoy um, comic book movies. Like, I think it's it's worth deciding online what what uh, conversations you want to be a part of. And I think for me, it's like whoever's in my circle that is making things just to make it and making no money off of it, but it's really coming from them in a way that feels like they need to do it um, and they're inspired to do it and um, it's enriching their lives. Uh, I think that shifting the attention to those people makes such a huge it makes just such a huge difference. And even just, you know, likes and retweets and, and follows to people who like, it may not be the center of the popular conversation, but it's a new conversation to start, say, on social media. And uh, a like on somebody's video and a subscribe on somebody's video who's doing something smaller is worth so much more to that person than another comment on a, on a thread about the Loki television show. And I think that the more people fill their feeds with things that are new and inspiring and, and smaller, um, the more interesting conversations are likely to have and the less regurgitative uh, conversations that, that we start to have. So like, I just try to fill my feed with things that, you know, truly inspire me. Not that I don't want to be part of conversation about larger things that are making impact, but I think like the, the industry is so much of a monolith that, uh, the internet has this potential to be somewhat democratizing, but not if people use it just to talk about the stuff in the monolith, you know? So, um, 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know what's next. Yeah, and I think that that has something to do with what I was um, thinking about earlier, too, regarding, like, there is so much content out there that people really aren't able to, like, sort through it all. Like, I'm not able to sort through all the content that, like, comes my way and figure out what's good. And I rely on my friends to tell me what's been, like, exciting them, what they've been enjoying. And to that extent, I think, like it is really useful for these smaller artists if you can shout them out because the there's just no way for the people who would be big fans of theirs to reach them if the people who who are enjoying it and or are maybe like friends with them and want to help them out don't um give it a little boost make a comment about it and and share it with others yeah, I mean, I I take this as like a really big part of my art life. This the power of being a recommender, um, coming from the the world of I you know book selling was my day job for like seven years. I worked in a bookshop, and so I so I had such a such a, a a tangible experience with how I could make real impact just by handing someone a book, like by by being the recommender of something I believed in. I remember there was like a, a bookshop I worked in that one month, our number one um, top selling book was just this this book called Diet Land that I had read and really loved and really believed in and therefore tried to sell to every single person that I that came through the shop and asked for a recommendation. I didn't get anything from that. You know what I mean? I didn't I'm not like getting some some percentage from the mm-hmm. author. I just, just believed, believed in, in it. it. Yeah. And it felt yeah. incredible to see that number, to see that that was the top selling book one month in our bookshop. And so it's like I had that kind of tangible experience and I've tried to carry it out even when I'm not hosting a book podcast or even a, a podcast in general. It's like I, you know, any any corner of the internet I'm on, any conversation I have can be utilized to really um, push smaller projects, smaller books, whatever art that I believe in. I, I Someone will watch it if I talk about it enough. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, like, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's it's wild, too, because I think that. Um, like what Nick was saying before about things sort of being approved of by, you know, a larger institution or a voice that people quote unquote trust um, as like a big, you know, voice or a big studio or a big money. And then as if that's a form of, of, of trust or something. Um, so like, I, I felt jaded about this thing. I mean, it's fine, but I, I had a red carpet photo from a film festival I was at and the amount of like likes and comments I got on it was, I, I don't have that many followers, but it was an astronomical amount of, of congratulations to me. And I found it so frustrating because the, the movie I got hired for, um, it, 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 I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my work on it. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that it got into that festival. I love everyone's support, all of that kind of stuff. But the, the way people respond to content that looks official to them, like I'm standing in front of a step and repeat on a red carpet that has AT&T logos behind me, you know, because they sponsored the festival. And that's fine, because that's just the way that it works. But it was so disappointing to me to see like, friends and family members who never comment on like my music or my art that I'm putting out, or the stuff that is important to me. And then all of a sudden, because I've somehow been approved of by um, an AT&T 
AT&T <laughs> sponsored. Like, no, it's, it's not just that. Like, you know, I mean, uh, prestige is in some ways worth something. Like the, the films at that festival are curated by like amazing people with great taste. And there's a reason why they're there. But also it's just really frustrating to see because the response to that, I know it's because I know it's because it's an official thing and that people may not see my other work that I make on my own with less money, with no money as an official thing. And it's, it's extremely frustrating. And yeah, and, and yeah. The, 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 the offensive thing to an extent is the presence of the branding and the image and that it, uh, it was like, it's not just that they were celebrating your movie, which also like, you know, was very good and, and that you were very good in, but also that it was the, the event that really got the celebration and not, for example, a, a you know, image from the movie where you're uh, doing acting. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't that at all. <laughs> it was just, it was just that idea of someone on a red carpet, which is like not why I do what I do. And I love fashion, so it was an opportunity to like express myself. But it was an opportunity to express myself in front of an AT and T logo. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're which isn't the way I I I want to express myself. I want to express myself by the other photos and videos that I'm putting out that nobody's pressing a like on, so they don't rise mm-hmm. to the top. You know. <laughs> yeah and you know you're you're such a process oriented artist Athena and this is you know like even in so many ways like my friendship with you and collaborations with you have influenced this show itself the philosophy of this show itself which is so much about yeah so there you go I'm giving you credit um I'm glad you're here again um uh so much you know so much of the like process over product and um that's that's what this show is about and you and I, you and I share that kind of, there's, there's a, you know, I, I don't think of you as a jaded actor, jaded artist at all. And nor do I think of myself as that, but there are things that I have, ex- I am jaded about or feel really angry about, honestly, even, you know, things like that, that are people supporting you that are likes and comments on the wrong thing. It's like people are being supportive, but it's like, there's something that doesn't sit right. I, um, I always struggle with, you know, on this, in this conversation of like, like you have to prove that you are approved of by the gatekeepers. I, my whole, you know, my whole life, um, or as you know, as soon as I started acting professionally, the the stream of questions that people ask you when you say you're an actor, at least in my experience, are like, um, "Do you have an agent? Do you have a manager?" <laughs> Are you in the union? And what can I see? What do I know you from? What can I see you in? Oh, I hate you know? that. It's like, and I it's, it. like it's horrible. Have I seen you in anything? It's like, I don't fucking know. Did you right. um, watch that reenactment show where I had a sex scene? Because I yeah. don't want you to. They gave me <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. And th- that line of questions, honestly, and you know, this is my own issue. That's my own insecurity. But like, that was very prohibitive to me. To making my own work, to making oh, my absolutely. own art, yeah, and empowering because you have me to make because- money. So also, you know, I was thinking about you know me standing in front of that AT and T step and repeat, and you know the people I made the movie with the 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 filmmaker. Um, he he's wonderful, but he started his whole career off making commercials. Like that was his first narrative film. And um, so he went the avenue of doing commercials first, which 
gave him the financial power to be able to make the film that he made that was of the quote unquote standard, like a certain standard that that could be uh, chosen by this festival. So it even it comes from the top down on the day jobs that we take because we have to make money. And if your skill set, Grace, is being an actor, then you have to go to the people you have to be hired out by the people who make the money. Uh, to have the money in order to uh, in order to get the money to somehow f- like fund or find the things that are important to you and the odds that you even have the time to do that because of how hard you have to hustle to work on other people's projects who have the money it's like it, it comes from the top down like that too because even when yeah um I feel like Nick probably has things to say about this because he's worked on recently I saw him work on like an art team like doing a uh, like reality home and gardens show, which really impacted me really badly in, in seeing how much money and materials are wasted on um on things. <laughs> it was the feeling of it was the feeling of um I'm not a legitimate actor unless I have worked on a superhero movie or something like the asker is saying, if I have not seen you in a Hollywood film, you are not a real (laughs) actor, which was so frustrating because the work that I am proud of is like one of my favorite things I've been in is like a sketch comedy video that is on YouTube, you know, like that you can watch on YouTube that was written by a friend of mine and I think is excellent. And I'm like, that's what I'm proud of. It's called How to Do Screenwriting Good, Romantic Comedies. A friend oh of mine God. did a series of, of, he's a hilarious comedy writer and he did a series of sketch comedy videos and like a fake, fake kind of um, like not infomercial, but like videos, uh, you know, like people used to buy classes through like VHS series. Yeah, They're course. the kind of cheesy <laughs> host. So he did like, yeah, he did a how to do screenwriting good video series with like a friend of ours who did this very cheesy kind of messy character. You got to link us to that. You got to link totally the audience. Link it. And I, it's so funny. The writing's so good. I had so much fun. And I'm like, that's what I want to show people. I don't, you yeah, know, because I, I like feel it. like what, what would be great is that if you link to our least viewed favorite projects in yes. the description of this video. I love that idea. I love that idea. And I know like, like for Nick, Nick has had this experience of working on um, the, on the production side of uh, home and garden shows or, um, you know, reality shows. He has so much experience working on um, doing, is it, do you do uh are, what do you do in on these projects? Yeah, the, the recent job that I was on, I was on the art team in a, in a home and garden show. Yeah. So you have all uh, this experience working on the art team of these major shows. And it's like, if someone were to do, you're like, oh, you work in the film industry? Like, what have you worked on? Give me the list. And you answered those things. They maybe know the projects. And they might be like, oh, cool, you pass my standard of being a legitimate artist. But but it's ridiculous because your films that you have written and directed are the things you're actually proud of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, despite the fact that like, uh, I've at this point probably earned about, um, you know, a hundred times as much laying down carpet in for a garden show, um, for a month than like the feature film that I spent six months, uh, on and like spent a lot more than I earned in that, uh, on that show on like it's, um, it's very imbalanced and it's not really a system that's made to cultivate art, you know, like produce art out of our culture. It's, 
it's um, just a system designed to like, you know, make money flow upward mostly. And what's infuriating is that they spent like thousands of dollars a day on flowers for that show that they threw away. And we just need a, a little bit of money to make this movie that we're making. And like for me, thinking about the numbers sometimes is maddening. I like try not to do it, but like I'll think about the numbers that it takes. Like if I'm on a film set and I'm doing background work and I count the amount of background people, I multiply that. I do a ton of math and then I try to calculate the amount of money that the stars are making and and I, I try to calculate how many crew members there are. It's infuriating. And I was on a film once on a soundstage where um, there was a big star and um, she didn't want to do product placement because uh, it was in her contract not to do product placement. And so the director, who was like a big director, um, just threw a line to her and, and he was like, order this brand of drink because she's at like a casino that they they have built the casino in this soundstage. And I'm playing like the Caesar's Palace waitress, you know, and I go up to her and she's just like, oh, I'm not going to do the I'm not going to do the. Uh, the what's it called the 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 name brand of the alcohol dude it was in my contract can i just order a regular whiskey <laughs> you know and and he was like oh no you can't just do this and then there was like you know she stood up for herself there was an argument and you know i was on the clock <laughs> like hundreds of people were on the clock from from you know building that sound stage to renting the space to you know hiring real blackjack dealers to fill out the space and all of this sort of stuff was happening and, and and hair and makeup and the catering. And there was like shrimp that day. So it like wasn't a cheap day of catering. And like I always in my head, I'm like, they got fucking shrimp. They're doing OK. Like <laughs> they're doing OK today. And um, yeah, it's like uh, so. So I calculate those kind of things in my head. And it's it's crazy making because he just didn't read her contract. And that's how much money they have to not that it's a not that it's a good thing that they did that, but they're going to make that, you know, they're going to make that back and they know that. But the waste level of that to me, like from an environmental perspective, also on top of the idea that we were there for 15 hours doing other stuff in this scene before she came on because someone didn't read her contract. Now, 15 hours is an amazing paycheck for me because, you, you know, union background and then you reach golden hour and you reach all of these um, magic, I mean, like all these times where you're starting to get paid bumps and so everyone's like oh we're getting pay bumps we're getting pay bumps but it's also a ton of artists who are working for 15 hours for like a, a, like on these kinds of scenes like you know every single background you see is like somebody who's like oh I'm actually a painter in real life or like someone who's like oh I'm an actor and I'm a writer and all of this stuff you know this this idea of time that's taken away from people is really sad to me because it's like Based on our skill sets, we have to work in an industry that has 15 hour days for two weeks straight. And I think people don't understand the way f how much time it actually takes to make a film, how much, how many hours and how many people that's what and how I, like even when you're making something really small, you're going to you're you're you have to take the risk to lose money. So the people who are smaller making films who are smaller, who aren't getting a lot of support at all, basically, they we know we're going to go into debt. We know, but we have to do it because this is this is what we want to do. This is why we started doing this in, in the first place. You know, we didn't start doing this in the first place so that we could, you know, work on a fucking home and gardens show. You know, <laughs> I didn't start doing it in the first place so that I could like 
sit in a hot tub on a real estate show, like being a decoration to selling the apartment. I was once a decorate, like I was like a model and it was like, what's up? I'm in a bikini, drinking champagne in the hot tub. And then the, it, the implication was that like I came with the apartment. It was horrible, but it was the only job I could get for like a month. And I like I needed to provide for myself. But that's I, I tangent. I tangent. No, but it's really I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up because this was actually something I really wanted to highlight in this conversation. Conversation. Like, like for me, it, since I was a child, when I found out that they would like um, build sets, for, like like um, on Lost, I remember finding I was obsessed with Lost as a kid. I remember finding out that they they um, built a London set while they were shooting in Hawaii, and so they covered all the palm trees with like more material to make them look like the trees of London, and then they they throw it all out. You know, like it all just goes in the garbage after they shoot that scene. And it, when I read that, it like shook me to my core because that was so wasteful. And then when you add being a professional artist and struggling for money, both just to survive and then to fund the art that you believe in, it is freaky to be on a film set and witness all of the waste, all of the, you know, like just material waste, the waste of money. And I, I actually wanted to ask you guys, especially as you are, you know, building this, these careers of being filmmakers, of being more in positions of power. Like if you were in a position of power on a big film set with those resources at your disposal, how would you avoid that kind of waste? How would you support artists better? I guess I want to start asking Nick, um, because this is a thing that we all share, you know, a frustration we all share. So one thing that I want to say about this too, that like adds to the level of frustration with the waste uh, from an environmental perspective, at least, is that the um, there used to be in New York City, in Gowanus, in Brooklyn, a really great uh, shop that all of the TV uh, operations would sell their um their leftover props and sets and stuff whatever was salvageable they would take it to this place and there they would like sell it forward and it was kind of like a goodwill type thing but they specialized in working with film productions and so it was a really useful resource for other film productions they would come there and get used elements and then rejigger them for their own setup and um, it was wonderful, but it lasted about six years before it became insolvent and the city wouldn't support it. Uh, no one would like lend it the money it needed to keep going, despite the fact that it was providing this like really vital service. And I think that that goes to show you the extent to which uh, this is not viewed as a problem by uh, the by the industry or by the cities that host the industries. And I find that like completely overwhelming and baffling um, because the the nature of filmmaking is that it does create a lot of materials and that's extremely difficult to get around. Um, and it's... Uh, you can do what you can. There are always on these sets a um, decisions that production is specifically making that can impact their uh, environmental footprint. Um, and 
almost every time you're going to have production saying we're going to do the cheaper thing, which is always the most wasteful thing. Um, but uh, if you factor that into your budget from the beginning and you say this is a thing that's really non-negotiable, this is something that we're committing to, um, we're going to do the right thing, then you can do it. You just have to plan for it and then like, and then pay that bill when it comes. Uh, there are some companies that I know that do this. Um, the light in NYC is one that occurs to me that they always uh, pay the extra five to 10% in order to run an ethical company. And I really admire that. Um, there are uh, companies out there that like actively like seek out and have a recycling plan whenever they start. Um, and there are some companies that just don't. And honestly, just being aware of it and planning for it uh, allows you to do it. Um, it's still a wasteful industry. And and I don't want to pretend that like I'm never going to contribute to any like negativity in that regard. But like, planning for it and doing what you can can make an enormous difference. Well, on that subject, I want to talk about like of plan. I, so much of this conversation is, has been about the just just having the intention. How much having the intention and the awareness changes your behavior. I actually want to talk about um, if you're comfortable, a sort of weekly task list, a sort of list of tasks people can do, um, uh, assignments they can give themselves. Just just think practical steps people can take to support their artist friends, to support uh, you know, more indie filmmakers. Um, what are some things people can do if they just have the awareness right now, this week? Well, I think just going to the artist you already know's social medias and um, boosting their signal at all is great. And I think taking this perspective of you know, if you like them and they're your friend and you know them, if they're, um, even if their work isn't like what you would consider the best ever, you can support them by amplifying them and then they can get better. I think that that's what some people don't really get. It's like, oh, my friend made a film and it wasn't great. You know, <laughs> my friend made a film and, you know, I'm a really big fan of Disney Plus, so um, it really wasn't the standard or whatever. It's like your friends will get better if you make them louder. And even if their work isn't perfect to you yet, um, you know, and I think also for me, it's like if I spent less time just like, uh, randomly scrolling and more time kind of being intentional about like who I look at, like this idea of utilizing your uh, Instagram or Twitter as a more static page where instead of going on and just scrolling, you go on and you think, ah, Nick's making a movie, right? I'm going to look up his Instagram name and see if he has any new posts about that or whatever it is, because that might not get fed to you in the algorithm. Like what's going to float to the top is your friend on the fucking red carpet with AT&T logo behind them because everybody already pressed like on that. Like that's how that works. Like that's what rises to the top of your feed. So if you don't use those intentionally, if you don't like say make lists on Twitter or utilize them as more static pages, then you're going to see the things that it chose for you and the things that it chose for you, the loudest things. And often the loudest things are the most popular things. And often the most popular things are the most expensive things. And it's just this like, that's the rabbit hole. And you're going to go down that rabbit hole. And you're going to support that rabbit hole. So I think it's just like, do you know friends who are artists? 
do you do you believe in smaller art? Look them up regularly. Boost where you can, you know. Um, I think the other thing is... I uh, when we were doing our Indiegogo, we were searching Indiegogo for other people who are making horror projects. And we watched a lot of their um, pitch videos and trailers and all of this stuff. And it was just like interesting to me that that just as a platform, if you just look up a, a genre of film or music or um, art that you like, then there's a there, I mean, there were so many. So like we were like, horror movies that are funding on here and it was just like it was just this smorgasbord of people who were really really talented who had tons of different perspectives who were doing things that you know they were looking for support for and I think one of the things that um I think that one of the things that people might not know about crowdfunding is that if you give someone even just a dollar or you share their campaign, it is not only really helpful because more people might see it, but it's really helpful in the way that you they know you, they have an audience, you know, like they it encourages us to keep going. And I think that people might hesitate to donate to something on a one dollar level. But like sometimes that means the world, because if that's all you can give and we know we have an audience member who cares that much to have done that, that's amazing. And so, yeah, I have. Like, I'm so uh, glad yeah. you said that. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I've, I remember, you know, getting feedback from people even on Patreon or something. Oh, I can only give a dollar. I don't you know, I'm sorry. I don't want to be insulting. So maybe not. And but that's why um, you have I'm the like, one dollar option. Like, yeah, and, and, you know, any amount you give is, like you said, encouragement for me as an artist. It boosts the visibility of whatever I'm making, too. Like like that number yeah. counts both financially mm -hmm. and just the number of patrons or the number of yeah and um, we literally you know, want to know that we have an audience like we don't uh, like at our core we're you know we we only engage with the system of capital and money because we have to fucking eat like otherwise every artist usually makes things for an audience and so just knowing an audience is there is uh it, it feeds the art itself yeah and i think that to that extent too like um if you can if you can find a way to express enthusiasm for something someone's making, like not just uh, pressing like on it, although obviously that's really like appreciated and helpful, but like actually like, like communicating the enthusiasm, like, like, oh, I actually like this. I, I don't just click like this. I actually like this. This is cool. Like hearing that, especially for creators without really large um, uh, nets, um, it can be very, very encouraging and, and is free to provide. So I think that like finding ways that you can, you can emphasize that to, um, to people is, is very helpful, very useful. That is, um, that's amazing. And I was actually going to point out that like, for example, my, my co-host Zandra doesn't have any social media. That's a very intentional choice of hers. So like a lot of this conversation rightfully is about social media use because we need it to fund our uh, Indiegogo or whatever it is to get eyes on our work. But there are also things you can do without it, you know, like even mm -hmm. just tell someone over email how how excited you are for their project or email it forward, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, put it in your newsletter that your friend is making this thing. Um, give a dollar, whatever it is, there are also things you can do off of social media, whether mm -hmm. it's in person or just through like phone call or text. Um, there's so much you can do. Show up to someone's play, 
Yeah. Showing up, you know, I mean, half the people who are in the area who who press like on that damn red carpet photo, I keep going on and on about it. But like, you know, my uh, one of my proudest theater performances, tons of people were in the area and even tons of people like in New York and tons of people uh, uh, were like, I got to see you in this. I heard it's really great. And they didn't come. They didn't fucking come. You know, it was just sort of this. Um, but whatever. I mean, yeah, go- actually going to things now that the world is turning back on is huge. And also there's the, this discovery factor to it, right? So if you have friends doing any kind of live music or gallery or showing of a film or theater, like anything that they're doing, um, there is this discovery element to it as well that you you weren't sold it from a huge billboard that you're, you know, being this sort of uncoverer and discoverer. And I think engaging with our actual, you know, physical environments, our, our conversations that we have with our voices, like even just vibe wise, like focusing on that. I think it's like, for me personally, it's a, it's a deeper and more inspiring experience, like as a person to go to like an avant-garde dance piece than it is to, and I'm not like I, I love popcorn movies and I'm like, like, I'll go get a huge bucket of Coca-Cola and watch Deadpool four times. Like, I'm not not a teenage a boy, but but yes. I think that, you know, the ones that are so big that it's literally a bucket. <laughs> like, it's like an exercise to lift you need, it up like, to your both face. hands. Yeah. So <laughs> you're never going to finish it. Um, but, and, and you'll have to pee by like 10 minutes in if you if you really go for it. Um, yeah. But I think just like accept all sides of art is really cool being like I am a I am a lame ass American consumer who wants the coke and wants the Deadpool and wants to be gross and that's part of me and that's part of who I am as an artist actually um and the and, and a person and the other side of it where it's like Nick and I are gonna go watch my Buteau teacher in this like small theater doing she's like a master of her craft worldwide and there's this tiny audience you know it's like understanding the spectrum of that and that the smaller things are part of your art life or a part of the humanities. Like I think like travel, I, I am one who travels along binaries for sure. And outside of them. And I think like actually knowing what's happening in your area with artists is huge. Like if you go to a show and you, and you're one of five people in a crowd and you talk to that person afterwards, like I've been on tour as a musician where there are like three people there and we talk to them and we become friends. And then like the next time we go to that city, because it was a risk for us to go to that city because we didn't fucking know anyone. And like we showed up at this place and we played and, and, and you know, because we like to play and we swing back around to that city and there's more people because those people had a conversation with us. And yeah. like conversation is huge. It's huge. Yeah. So I'm, I'm putting this in the show notes and I'm going to put it out on our social as well, but just like everyone listening to this, you've got five things right now. You can assign yourself every week. You can assign yourself however much you want. Be a recommender, recommend, you know, online, in person, recommend the work that you enjoy, express enthusiasm directly, tell an artist, whether it's on social, over email, in person, tell an artist why you like their work tell them directly show up in person for your like hometown local things or touring musicians who have a smaller audience show up uh retweet people's work or retweet their crowdfund campaigns whatever it is go look at your friends and what they're making and then 
pay it forward, retweet it so more eyes get on their crowdfund or their new piece, whatever. And then last but not least, uh, donate to crowdfunds or donate to Patreons. Um, you know, support artists directly with your money. It is important. It is the only way we can make stuff. We have a crowdfund campaign that we are working on right now that you That's can give a dollar to. Yeah, yeah. No, really. I mean, I'm, I'm using the, the airspace to say it. Like, you can give a dollar to our crowdfund and that makes an impact. Or you can, like, or, like, send it to your grandma and she'll be like, oh, my God, actually, there's slugs in this movie. That's my jam. And then you have this, like, whole conversation about slugs and your grandma. Oh, my God, you didn't even know she was into slugs that much, you know? <laughs> with your grandma send send her the vile slugs yes send yes. your grandma specifically specifically send your grandmother's our crowdfund that is what we're asking for today your, um, send your spooky grandma the spooky movie link i want a spooky grandma oh my god it's like an undertapped market because everyone's like spooky nannies it's they're only going to be around for another 10 20 years but we are really gunning for the spooky nannies on this yeah that's our audience that's our built-in audience it's a niche i had one of my grandmothers was pretty spooky like friendly spooky but like secretly spooky and my other grandmother was absolutely not spooky so that's that's some data for you. That's some data. <laughs> well, I would have sent it to one of them, but the other one, maybe not so much. Well, now that I've closed out the episode with demand with a list of demands for our audience. Yeah, it was like provided, homework. I've provided no, I see I like listening <laughs> to things or watching things where there's such clear practical steps. You that's just are how my you have a works. Saturn chart ruler yeah. and you would like to give people marching orders. <laughs> Yeah, I know I do, and I, and I and I want to receive them as well. Mm-hmm, so I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I know people listened listening to this, or um, some some of them might want to leave this episode without like, oh, cool, what can I do today? What's something I can do? Yeah, today? yeah, I love it. I love the marching orders. They're kind. They're a good mess. They're yes. marching for good for goodness. I'm not. Yes. <laughs> And with that, we always end our episodes by asking um, our guests or each other, what is the art life? So Athena, I will start with you. What is the art life? The art life is uh, discovering new things, you know, discovering new things. And the art life is uh, being an explorer, not just in your own work, but in what you decide to consume. I think the art life is... Uh, respecting your brain enough to make decisions for yourself about what you think is cool and what you think is good. And the art life is starting conversations about shit you you think is cool and accepting that your your perspective, your opinion, your taste matters. You know, there is no one who is ever gonna match your specific ability to choose cool things for yourself no matter who recommends stuff to you or like what's being advertised by you the the art life is to exercise your ability to hone your taste because only you get to pick that only you know what tastes delicious to you you can't like even if like you you were like oh have this bread I would be like I know you love this bread but I cannot I am allergic to the bread. I cannot have it. And so it's like it's like food, you know? Like there are things that are nourish you and they're out there and you might not even know what they are yet. Like you you have yet to discover your fave food. So I think the art life is actually going out there and being an adventurous eater of mm-hmm. of um of art. 
<laughs> went too far on the on the old metaphor. No, I liked it. I liked it. I I say go all in. Go too far. Go 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 even farther. <laughs> My brother's a chef, so it felt literal. It, like I was just imagining him like making ice cream flavors and being like. I swear we're putting the spicy in the chocolate. Please try it. And then I'm like, I never even thought of it. Everyone buy this ice cream. Yep. Nick, what is the art life? <laughs> um, I think the art life is uh, seeking out things that are delightful and meaningful for you and um, creating things that are delightful and meaningful for you. Um, and we we always ask people, although I've made clear that the Indiegogo is the answer, we always ask people, where can people find your art? So if you guys have social media, a website, anything you want to push, please let our audience know. Where can people find your art? Um, I'm at Wonderdrome on Twitter and Instagram and also uh, RookProd or Rook Productions on those two uh, as well. And also uh, we have a movie that just came out that I can't believe I haven't brought up before now. It's called Pasture. It came out about a month ago and it's on Amazon and um, and available in, in Walmarts and Best Buy and anywhere else that you can find movies online. Thank you so much. Athena, where can people find your art? I have a website, athenaready.com, but it's, it, you know, you can see my acting work there. But what's really important to me is that Nick and I make uh, sketch comedy and micro short films on YouTube. And I only have 69 subscribers, but I'd like more, even though this number nice. is really sexy. Nice. <laughs> cool, bro. 69, dudes. But like, yeah, so I would like more people to be able to see my vampire character and my dancing girl character. And so my YouTube is called Athena Reddy's Jam Coffin. And you can remember it by imagining a coffin filled with jam. <laughs> It's easy enough. Hard <laughs> and, to forget. Uh, and on Instagram, I am non-binary. So it's like the word non-binary, but with an M as if it's French, but it's not even how you say it. So it's M-O-N-B-I-N-A-R-Y. It does me. We will be putting links in the show notes to all of these projects and all and of these Grace's accounts. And to Grace's sketch that everyone should and, watch. Yes. And also, yeah, check out the show notes. For, uh, each of us will provide um, a, a, a little scene video or a little scene art project that we are most proud of. I love that as a challenge. And it's a perfect example of sharing the, the indie work we want to be seen. So with that, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on the show. This was such a great conversation. And I know this is the exact kind of thing that our audience wants to listen to. Um, so yeah, I'm just so cool. grateful that you thank came, you. like, yeah, so prepared and with so much to offer. Thank you. Thanks oh, for having me. Thank you so much. This is The Art Life. A heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson Burns. You can find us online and subscribe to our newsletter at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91617. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>